Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. Welcome to episode 96 of the Tourpreneur Podcast. Today, we chat with Amy Overy. She runs Hong Kong Greeters at hkgreeters.com, a private tour company in Hong Kong. She's our first guest to join us from Hong Kong, and I was really intrigued to find out how her business has coped, not just with COVID, but if you remember before COVID, major political protests that were shutting down Hong Kong. I remember the the airport that fights and between the uh, police and demonstrators in the airport and all the news that was happening there. So very intrigued to hear how a tour operator business navigates their way through that. I hope you'll enjoy today's show. You can find all the show notes at tourpreneur.com forward slash 96. Um, Just to let you know, there'll be no tourpreneur next week. I'm going to take a week off. Sadly, I've got nowhere to travel to, but I've got plenty of chores to do at home. We'll be back in July. Got lots of great content for you. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast, Amy. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Shane. Thanks for having me on here today. I'm curious to find out, as we're recording this in June, what's the situation with regards to COVID in Hong Kong? Actually, in Hong Kong, we've really tackled it head on right from the very beginning. We're still remaining around 1,000 cases and we have had four deaths as well since since we knew about it in January. Just four deaths? Just four, just four, which is incredible considering we border with mainland China. Um, and we're about 900 kilometers away from Wuhan, where the outbreak started. Wow. Why have you been so successful? I think the main part of it is that Hong Kong did suffer back in 2003 with SARS. They were one of the worst hit areas. And they had so many lessons that they learned from that, that whenever there's even a, a flu outbreak here, just a regular flu outbreak here, they have procedures that they just put in place immediately. We heard about it over Chinese New Year, so the end of January, and basically all our schools closed from the end of January or after the Chinese New Year break. Um, and they didn't go back until about two weeks ago. So that was put in immediately government offices or government officials had to work at home they they couldn't go into the office for I think one month at a time they when they did come back and at the moment still we're we're adhering to social distancing measures so you can't congregate in groups greater than eight 
But what they didn't do, interestingly, and what other countries have done, is they never actually shut down the day-to-day stuff. So to be fair, there, there were some things they shut down, but the regular, like going out, eating, and meeting people, as long as you were adhering to social distancing, you could always still do that. They did, they did for a period shut down cinemas, places that sold alcohol, gyms, and a lot of organizations, businesses put in their own practices for how people were going to come into work. So my husband who works in an office, for example, he was in one week, out the next week, in one week, out the next week. And it was just making sure that that social distancing or that the risk of, of coming into contact with people was completely minimized. I mean, that's, it's so much to learn, isn't there, from, from all of us, from, from what Hong Kong has done. And it's, it's interesting that back in January, I remember saying to someone when news was coming in uh, about what was happening in Asia and what would happen if, if that spread to the United States, for instance. And I remember saying, well, they can't shut down all the flights and stop people traveling. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I think without, without getting political on the show, I mean, there is... You know, uncharted territory for, shall we say, the West, right? I mean, like you say, you've had SARS outbreaks in Asia and it's so much uncharted territory that should this happen again in the future and let's all pray and fingers crossed that it doesn't, we will respond a lot faster in the same way that Hong Kong has done. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope, isn't it? You, I, I think there's an awful lot that could be learned from somewhere like Hong Kong in terms of just regular procedures in in this sort of scenario and like you say hopefully it doesn't happen again but just to have yeah. them there then then you're ready for when it for hopefully when it doesn't happen again <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even yesterday I was in the garden center, exciting life that I lead, and I was picking up some stuff, and we're all in masks, and it's contactless, and they come out, and, you, and I just looked around and thought, wow, if, if, if I'd looked into the future a few months ago and saw this, I, my head would be shaking. It, is, it still is shaking, because it's, it's so... It's a bit dystopian, isn't it? It doesn't, yeah. doesn't feel right. Well, actually, I have to say that, that masks in Asia in general is very, very normal. You do it, you, it's been such a common question on tours before all this. Why are people wearing masks? And the assumption is that people are doing it because they're scared of getting sick. But in actual fact, it's always been the other way around. They're sick, the person is sick, and they, they're, it's actually a sign of care. They're showing people yeah. that they don't want other people to get sick. So it's very normal here. And, and these days, you can't really go into a premises, office, supermarket, restaurant. They won't let you in without without you having one on. You just won't yeah. be allowed entry. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely uh, going to become the norm here. Because I remember when COVID hit, I was in London. And I, I flew back to actually into Montreal because the president said he was going to start banning flights. I'm like, oh, I better get out of here. I was I was on the Greyhound bus from Montreal to Vermont, and there, there were a group of, of Asian students on the bus, and they were all in masks, and like no, no, nobody else was. And now I look back, I think, wow, so different. Yeah, it was it was the uh, it was the rare sight, and now yeah, yeah, very much so. Topsy turvy now. So you, you've had to deal with COVID, um, and we'll talk a bit more about those implications in the moment. But also, you've had a lot of political unrest in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite a mildly. lot. <laughs> Put it mildly, yeah. We're, actually, we're talking on the day of the anniversary of the of the march where a million people took to the streets in protest against the extradition bill. That was the that was the instigator for the mass protests. So we've now been been under it for a year. The I think you know what I look back and think, oh gosh, what what times have changed? And obviously, it affected everybody. 
in terms of tourism, of course, things would come out every, usually weekends, actually, these protests would happen on weekends, and you'd get another flurry of cancellations because the media shines a lens on what's going on, but it doesn't really give you geographical perspective. So you don't quite understand if you're not in Hong Kong where where these protests are all taking place. And yeah, I mean, if I was sitting in the UK or in the US looking at this, yeah, I'd be scared too. So there was there was quite a large impact. But comparing it to COVID, which like everyone, it's just completely flattened business. We there were still people who were coming to Hong Kong. It's funny, they, they I would say they were they were more sort of seasoned travellers. A lot of people from Europe, I guess they used to protest in their home countries. They weren't really put off by by what was going on. Um, and our job as guides was just to give the reassurance, not guarantees, but the reassurance that we really knew what was going on, where to avoid and how to keep people safe. Yeah, we were on a tour in January in Puerto Rico. Uh, we were on a cruise and we dropped off in Puerto Rico and we were going on a walking slash food tour there. And they said to us, look, there's a big protest. There'd been, uh, I mean, it was terrible. I want to go into too much, but there'd been a hurricane and they had a really rough time. And then they found this big warehouse full of water that some government official had hidden from everybody oh, when everybody needed water, right? So everybody was, really, they were angry. But the tour guide said, don't worry about it. We know their route. We know where the, the travel spots are going to be. We have to change the itinerary, but we're gonna, you're going to be safe. And to be fair, we were really kept on the outskirts of it. And you could hear it going on, but I just felt that I didn't feel worried at all. I was really reassured by the company and the steps they had taken. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's exactly what we tried to do. There's so many places to visit in Hong Kong that you could you could create an itinerary for somebody for for your group that that was going to absolutely be 100% away from anything that was happening. One thing I will say that the majority of the protests were peaceful like it, it's not it was only just um a small a small minority that would that would then kick off but still you've got to be cognizant of people's feelings and fears about this because they're very real they they don't know i mean it's scary enough traveling to a country in the first place and not knowing anything but scary knowing that that's there on top of it as well yeah and i mean i can tell you here in the united states that i remember the vivid footage we saw was at the airport and everything that was going on at the airport and that was all over the news yeah, and and it closed the airport. <laughs> yeah, 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 and that's that was major news here. It's like, oh wow, they've closed the airport. There's skirmishes going on in the airport, and yeah, that's again, it's that that could just be one small part of it, and everywhere else is safe. But that's what I remember from the protest more than anything else. Yeah, and actually, that's why most people were cancelling because they were worried. Certainly, if they were on a transfer, which a lot of people are, they're they're sort of coming through Hong Kong on their way to somewhere else. They didn't want to have their flights affected in any way, so it's completely understandable why you yeah. why you do that. Yeah, and the media they will always focus on those uh, flashpoints, right? They'd always focus on the worst elements of it. Of course, because that's what makes the news, right? So yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah it, there were some really bad things. But well, a colleague of mine was actually giving protest tours. I, I was, Very entrepreneurial, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, he his his tours are quite political in any case, but and so bringing it to the forefront and what's going on and why it's going on, it's it, it suited what he does. But yeah, he could, it was only for planned peaceful protests that he could do them. It wasn't going to be joining in with anything so, after dark. Sure. So when that was all kicking off, as you say, how did you communicate to your guests that you were still leading tours and and what safeguards? 
you were putting in place? I think just in, in general, we, we build quite a strong relationship with people before they arrive anyway, just inherent of, of the types of tours that we do. They're very personalized tours. So often we'd preempt any any worries for people by sort of saying, look, this is what you've booked, but this we know that this nothing is happening this day, for example, so we'll be able to carry on and nothing should be affected. If it's on the weekend, may I suggest that we go to this place, this place and this place so that we know that we're going to be avoiding any areas where it could cause disruption. And most people, well, I think 100% of people are absolutely fine with that. They they would just they would normally come back and say, yep, yeah, we're happy to leave it in your hands. And that was all, so that was, that was all done via email. Was there anything on your website reassuring people or did you decide to keep it private between the, the guest and yourselves? Yeah, actually, we we didn't do an update on our website. We did do it on a on a guest by guest basis, rather right. than there. I think it was it was more a case that things were changing so quickly that it was actually quite hard to to give information that was going to stay up to date. So it was easier to to contact people sort of in the run-up, sort of reassuring them that we've done we've done tours, we're still doing tours, and this, these are the things we've done in the past. And then in the run-up to the tour to say, look, this is the situation as it is for when you're going to be here and, and give them the reassurance that way. Right. And where are most of your customers based? Most of our customers are based in the US. We okay. get, yeah, we get a lot of people coming and visiting other parts of Asia, often on land trips but a lot of cruises as well come into hong yeah. kong and that's usually yeah. usually where our uptake comes from so what's been some of the differences then between the political unrest and covid for, for you in terms of how you're running your business well i've had a lot more time <laughs> a lot more time like, like everybody i think i've probably taken good time to appreciate everything as well that, that i have have had because this land, this future landscape is so unknown. So it sort of regrouped. Uh, I did take some time out. I did have other priorities because um, I've got two children who weren't in school. So I had to mm-hmm. focus a lot of time with them. But when things did start um, opening up again, getting getting more open and, and you could um, do things again, I, I, I was really interested to try and do something here in Hong Kong the local tour angle I I had been training some new guides <laughs> before before this happened so mm-hmm. actually it gave me good time to devote to them and and to to really put in the time with them and also to use them to to think of new ideas of what what we can do going forward I didn't want to Actually, that's what's been encouraging about your podcast is that everybody is still moving forward. It feels like, even though this has this has come and it's affecting everybody, they're still um, thinking of ways or trying to do things and planning for the long term as well. Whereas maybe it was easier before because there was always this steady flow of business coming in, and it was like being a bit more on a treadmill. So it really gives you uh, that time to do the stuff that you you just never had time to do before given enough to before. So So many tour operators I I talk with who are cautiously optimistic and planning ahead. And I think we all went through this period of two to three weeks when, when this hit of, Oh, I'm not going to have a business by the end, by the end of this. And everything I've worked on over the last couple of years is, is going to 
disappear. And then I noticed that many entrepreneurs were like, okay, this is the situation. We're all in the same boat. People are going to want to travel again. This is not like a nuclear bomb has gone off somewhere and you're not going to be able to visit that region for the next 50 years because of fallout and whatnot. People will always want to travel. It's just going to take a long time to recover. Yeah. And I'm, I'm constantly impressed and inspired by it. Now, I think there is a difference between those of us who don't have so many fixed costs and assets. So if you've got a fleet of buses sitting in the car park and you're having to pay the insurance on that every month, and those kind of things, then yeah, it, it is tougher. But I think the smaller tour operator can be more agile. And like you've done, say, okay, I'm going to take some time out, going to focus on the kids. I'm going to work with the tour guys. How do, you know, we have been given this time to kind of improve the business or we're all running around crazy busy all the time. We never, we rarely have time to sit down and take stock of our business, right? And everything's happening on the fly. So it did give us that unique opportunity, I think, to, to build and to learn new skills. That's the other thing I'm hearing a great deal about from, from our listeners is that they're doing HubSpot certification marketing courses or Facebook ad courses or SEO courses and things that we never, ever, ever <laughs> always want to do. But it's like always on that to-do list, but we never get time to do it. No, no, you just don't. It's a, it's a, it's a nice to, to do, not, a, not a, something you're a wish. It's not something that you're going to necessarily get around to doing so yeah it's actually yeah. making plans and sticking to them that's what people are doing we actually did I got my tour guides on a on a, a comedy workshop course but yeah it's really good fun nice. actually it was really yes. good fun so one of one of my guides is a professional comedian and and so we extended it out to everybody because so much of what you do is that contact that communication with people and what better way to to hone that skill than to to try and throw a bit of comedy into what you're doing. So, yeah, that was that was a good, if any if anyone else has access to something like that, I can highly recommend it. Yeah, I know we had Margaret on the show way back, and she runs improv classes, and uh, she also trains tour guides. And she was talking about how improv is a really good way. I guess that's similar to comedy, right? I mean, because you got to think on your feet and come out of your shell a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it is, and build almost building a story as well. And knowing knowing how to deliver a punchline even is is it's a skill. So yeah, we all we all had had something to take away from that. So all our listeners right now are saying, well, well, come on, Amy, let's give us a joke. What did you uh, What did you learn? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> we could all use a laugh here. Oh no! Can you come back to me on that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I never said that. That now. was cruel. That was cruel. <laughs> oh dear. Oh yeah. I, gosh, a lot of a lot of them are going to be way too political. So. <laughs> oh okay. Um, yeah. No, come come back to me. I'll think of something by the end of it. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, in, in terms of Hong Kong readers right now, what are you doing in terms of of? So you're running. You're still running. So you're running your tours, right? Yeah. So. So happy to report we got our first booking, two bookings last week for local tours right. this weekend. And we only launched them at the beginning of last week. So I'm over the moon. This was this was something that my guides will... Imp- it, basically, these are my guides' favourite places to go. And we, we advertise them just actually very minimally on Facebook groups and Facebook ads. And, and we're getting a lot of interest uh, in them, particularly during the summer, July and August, because people can't go anywhere people can't fly anywhere so they're taking yeah. the time to discover more of where they're living 
And how have you adapted then to marketing to locals as opposed to marketing to travelers in the United States? Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, it's total totally different kettle of fish. We we it's always it's taken for granted when someone's visiting here, then you you are gonna be that person who knows more about this place. But when you've got um, people who've lived here for maybe their whole lives, you've got to really show that you can add value to these to these places. We're we're actually taking um, people to places which they definitely will have heard of, but we're sort of taking a deep dive into them. And uh, a lot of the times our guides grew up there or have a personal connection there. So they really do have the insider track um, to share with people. Plus, you do get a lot of people relocating into Hong Kong usually in the summer too. So, or, they, or there's people who haven't even had a chance to explore from last summer. So they, they really want to get out and do stuff. And of course, there is loads of stuff they could do on their own. But why not do it with somebody who can actually really share a lot about it while they're while they're there as well? So yeah, they seem they seem to. I, I have been surprised myself at how interested people are in these. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I'm hearing this. Uh, from a lot of different places that we we had Robert on, who's down in Nice. They've started running tours, and they they had some pretty severe restrictions because the French are never uh, light on bureaucracy, are they? <laughs> <laughs> and they they had a lot of hoops to jump through to put on the local tours, and and they pivoted. And I think this is something that we're all going to have to do. And I think the challenge with that, like you say, is the content has to be something a little different and, and re- more relevant to locals. But also, I think the big challenge is how we then market to people. How do we market to locals? Because our traditional channels are not where they're going to be, correct? Yeah, I, I think I've, I've been in Hong Kong a long time. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people know, know what I do as well. So, yes. so that definitely helps. But it's also sort of knowing uh, which which people to target and and spending your money effectively, of course. So I think what we focus on was we we really, we we sort of like tag ourselves as your friends in the know. So we're Mm -hmm. sort of going beyond, going beyond just being your friends. We we can share things that we know as we're going around, but we, we're trying to hit that, those more, uh, the, the social media platforms more, but we have gone down traditional publication routes as well we we've ended up in some of the expat press hoping to get someone along from the local paper as well just yeah. just so people know that it's there that that, that there are these opportunities there well I, I said this in a previous episode journalists are really scratching around for good stories right now because all they're writing about is negative stuff so I think journalists might be more open to writing about local tours and even ad rates. I imagine, and I haven't checked this, but I imagine that ad rates, you probably get a good deal right now. I know my local newspaper has carries hardly any ads right now because nothing is open here. So now is maybe the time to lock in a good deal for the for print ads. I, I, mm, <laughs> I'm not so Go sure on. that people have heard okay. that in Hong Kong. I just got asked to contribute 10000 Hong Kong dollars to to be to be headed up as a as an entrepreneur of the year, and uh, that sort of that really doesn't sit well with me. To, wow! So you have to, <laughs> yeah. And what? And that's for a local publication in Hong Kong. Yeah, or? yeah. I won't name Whoa. the one, but yeah, I can't believe that that that's that much money. But then I have had I've had people advertising the tours that we're running. And then they yes. might come back to me and say, oh, if you want a social media boost, we can do it for this much. 
And I've gone right. back again and asked if we can reduce the price. And actually, they're normally always up for it. So I, I'd rather work in that way than, than well, I don't have 10,000 <laughs> Hong Kong dollars. Well, so there's, there's no quite frank, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know, you, I know you've paid 15,000 to come on talk right, for right, now, which is yeah. very generous of you. <laughs> No, but I mean, that's, I mean, I would actually be inclined to write back and say, you're right, I am entrepreneur of the year. And that's why I'm saying no. Because <laughs> <laughs> no entrepreneur worth his salt is going to pay that anyway. I'm being facetious. But yes, it, it does depend where in the world you are. But I would definitely try and get negotiate your, your ad rates because I can imagine many ad salespeople are, are struggling right now. You were saying Facebook has been successful for you. Facebook ads? Yeah, I think because because so many of these trips that we're doing appeal to families. So connecting into, there's quite a strong Facebook groupage in Hong Kong. It's not, there are some that are really, really well utilized. They're not just spam full of ads for people's businesses. So they're actually for sharing information the majority of the time. The biggest one we have is Hong Kong mums. Um, there's around 50,000 members so um, trying trying to get someone to recommend you on that is the best way, but you can also yes. um, pay for advertising, which isn't very expensive. And they can, I think, I think it's around, what would it be? It'd be about 100, 150 US dollars for an ad for a week with three boosts. And I think that's money well spent because um, it's being seen by the right eyes. So that's an ad that you, you, you boost from your page. Yes. And you've come up with the, the demographics and the target audience. Is there any way uh, you can pay? So like the Hong Kong mums group, do they take paid ads or is it frowned upon? Oh, that, yeah. So you, that is the paid ad. So they, they will, right. they, you, I you, understand. yeah, they, they, they are the administrators of it. So they will, they will be paid wow. ads at the top of the page, but only, it's only a certain amount per week. A number of ads yeah. per week, and you have to fit into their schedule and things like that. But yeah, it's it's very useful. We we try to make yeah. it interactive usually to make people list their their favorite place in Hong Kong or something. You know, so it's not just about oh we're doing this, come along. It's it's more like oh if you want to discover more about road names and what they mean, then come along on this trip and we'll mm-hmm. share the insights. So I guess that's it. The takeaway for listeners is to go and research these groups in your own area. Do they exist? And maybe being entrepreneur, if they don't exist, maybe start building one yourself, not not just with the, the reason for advertising. But I'm sat here in Vermont and I've only been here a couple of years. I don't really know the state very well. So if I was to join some kind of group, I'm, I'm looking for things to do. As soon as the governor tells us we can go out and do stuff, I'll tell you, I can't wait. I'm climbing the walls here. Well, I can, I can tell you the mums groups are gold. If, if there's one in your, in your town, Shane, you should join up because you'll just learn so much, not just about your town, just about everything <laughs> to do with children. Yeah. Plus a few yeah. rashes. And, Great. So you've used the group ads then. Have, have you done any Facebook ads to the wider Facebook um, uh, population? I've just been boosting my, my events, so my, my tours that are coming mm. up. Because at the moment they're just at weekends, but we're going to be um, launching them midweek once once the schools stop again in july and yeah. and hopefully we can we can fill up um, and i don't i think for facebook it as long as you're you're or maybe, maybe that's why people are going on the courses as well but as long as you can um target exactly where you want then then there's usually a pretty good return on it i don't mind for the odd thing using facebook it's not it's not like um a Google ad trying to compete with all the private tour companies. That's, that's just a headache. 
but you yeah for something like this i think it's probably worth the money so you jumped into that without learning or going any courses you, you kind of taught yourself yeah i mean i'm probably not doing it right but <laughs> hey if you're getting bookings and awareness then that's the main thing yeah yeah it seems to be working that's what, all i can say but hong kong is a small geographical area isn't it so maybe maybe that's the difference it can be more targeted yeah and i mean i guess the things you could look at there is the images and the copy and what resonates and for different i mean it's a real rabbit hole when you go down it but it's it's definitely worth playing around with yeah 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 just and just play with it because as long as you have a fixed marketing budget you know as long as it's not something that's going to run away with you 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 sure you can play around things and see what works and what doesn't yeah and what i love with facebook is you can put 10 bucks a day and you don't it's like not not thousands of dollars and you can test and but i did hear from someone the other day don't just run it for one day and a expect to get results and b to get any kind of data it's like you do need to run it for a minimum seven or eight days yeah for the ads to kick in so it's not just hey here's a one-off 10 bucks yeah i'd, um, I'd so agree I with that i'd agree with that um, what I'm hearing as well, and you can do you can you, you can try different variations of the same ad, so you can really see which which ones resonating with people or not. Yeah, and so I want to take a couple of steps back. Well, actually, I'm going to ask you two more questions related to COVID, and then I want to find out a bit more how you got started. So we're doing things a little bit different on this episode. Normally, we do the origin story first, but <laughs> with with circumstances, so. On your so when when people were cancelling with you, how did you deal with with refunds? What was your policy? Do you know what we we just refunded everything. We do have oh. a cancellation policy, which is like which I think is quite a fair one. It, it's seven days in advance for a full refund. But I don't. I can't even think where it really applied because most people having to cancel flights, having to cancel hotels, they were cancelling quite well in advance anyway. And you might, I'm trying to think, did we have a, we, I think we did have, yes, we had a situation where a cruise ship docked, but they didn't let people off as well. And again, we just refunded the money. I mean, I do, I, I do understand these policies are here for a reason, but we, we, we think about the long-term relationship with people. And these are situations that are just out of our control. It's not like, a guide was sick on the morning or something and we had to cancel I, I can completely understand where these customers were coming from they they wanted to avoid Hong Kong if they could and I had to agree to that that's what I felt was the right thing to do and agree to give them the ref, refund so yeah we I felt we we had to do that I, I am constantly inspired by the vast majority of tourpreneurs who who had that policy of full refund and understanding the situation. There was a couple out there that didn't, and I'm a little and I won't name them. I'm frustrated, and I probably wouldn't book direct with them again. Right? Um, like I get it if it's hotels involved and buses, like a package. If you go on a multi day tour package and you and you call a few days before, I get that totally. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think. In some instances, if it was last minute, maybe you've, put, you've got to pay the tour guide for their time. And But ultimately, the, the costs, I think, would should have just been written off it, because, yeah, I mean, there's nothing anyone could have done about it. So, yeah, I fully understand that. Yeah, it was funny. In London, the day before I left, I, I was on a 
rock and roll history tour of London. And I called them in the morning off because it was the night before and President Trump had banned flights and this, that, and the other. And I called them and I was so surprised that that tour was, they were like, no, no, we're still going. We're still, because I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So so that was cool. Uh, and I mean, and I, at that point, I wasn't worried about COVID. Like I, I said in an earlier episode, it, it was only when I got back to the United States. And I mean, Vermont at that time hadn't had any cases. So I was... I was taking the precautions. I was washing my hands constantly and everything else, but I was not so freaked out. But had I had I cancelled in that case, I would have expected to to have just paid and lost my money. Had they refunded me, I'd be like, "Wow, what a great company!" Right? You know, was it, was um, it a good and, tour? <laughs> oh, it was phenomenal. You know what? I I want to interview them. <laughs> I really do. And it was funny because I asked him on the morning because he drove the bus and he gave the tour, which is in in, in central London. To do both at the same time, right? I couldn't do it. And uh, I was like, you know, how, how's things affected? He goes, oh, we're full every day. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, wow, okay. And that, because that I think was like around March 8th or 9th or something or around that point. And the theaters were still selling tickets because I wanted to go to a few plays. But that was the only time I just thought, what, do I really want to be in close kind of quarters with, you know, a couple of hundred people at a West End theater. And I, I did say I wouldn't do it. So it was amazing how the world just kind of changed within those few days. Yeah, from, within weeks, from when wasn't I it? Back. I, um, yeah, I was in London at the same was. time, actually. Well, I was back home for a period of time uh, during that time. And, and uh, for me, obviously living in Hong Kong for so long, I was just really confused why, why no one, well, they knew about it, but it always it yeah. seemed as if it was something so far away and, and it wasn't on the horizon coming, but I was, I sent my kids crazy with the amount of times that I was like making them sanitize their hands and not touch anything. Honestly, I sounded like a mad woman. And I remember putting my daughter, my daughter did have a cough. And so I put her in a mask and the looks we got, yeah, <laughs> they thought, yeah, we were, we were a little bit crazy, but yeah, I, I just, I think it's obviously I've, I've changed since I've been here. So <laughs> Well, I think we all have going through, as we said earlier on in the show, I think we've, we're all accepting the new normal now and it won't be, you won't be so freaked out, you know, should something like this happen in the future or even in now, I just had some masks arrive because we're starting to come out of lockdown. Vermont has, our governor has performed admirably. We have so few cases now, but there's still, you've got to take precautions, right? Yeah. And actually as a question for you on your tours right now, are you requiring everybody to wear masks? We, we have a policy for masks we have a policy for they have to sign a waiver uh, not a waiver a health declaration form right to state that they haven't been outside of the country in 14 days nor in contact with anybody who has because there are obviously still people who are having to move air crew and whatnot and we we provide a lot of that stuff too so we will have the extra masks and we will have hand sanitizers I think the risk of someone being out of the country in the last 14 days is pretty low, <laughs> but but we've so, we've adopted that from what the restaurants have been doing for some time, which was, I think, something I sent, sent to you in advance, a, a sort of code of a playbook for really how, how to operate during COVID, but post-COVID as well, it completely applies. So yes, yeah, we, we do have um, these things in place. And what were some of the guidelines from that? I know we can't go through the whole document now, but what's a couple of those guidelines that you are going to implement? Well, it, they, they came up with this book. Uh, it's a company called Black Sheep Group. They're a restaurant group here in Hong Kong. They, they own about 10 restaurants and they developed it um, themselves 
for how they were going to do things in the kitchen, how waiting staff were going to do things. And it even goes down to the granular detail of what to do if somebody's temperature is too high. What, how are you going to face the customer who you have to turn away? Yeah. So there's an awful lot of learning from that document. The biggest take home we've got is this health declaration form. So it's fairly common in Hong Kong that you get presented with this form and you have to declare for you and whoever your dependents are and say that you you haven't been anywhere and that you're you're safe to be here. So yeah, we'll be doing temperature checks as well. That's another thing we'll be doing. And how do you think you'll respond if you carry out the temperature check and someone has a high temperature telling them they can't come on the tour? How will I respond? Yeah. I would probably suggest that we rearrange it. We right. yeah, I, well, either a full refund or rearrange it for another time. I, I think it would be very very unlikely that they they have a fever because of COVID because mm. we. I think we haven't had a local transmission case for over three weeks, I think. So I think it would be very unlikely, but we'd make some space for them so that we could do it again. But it wouldn't it wouldn't be advisable to go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just ask that because I think on paper it sounds very simple, but when you're actually having to tell a family or guests that they can't come on the tour, they're all excited and you have to say no, you know, how that will actually work in reality. And we, I think most people are reasonable, but you're going to get one or two who are not going to take kindly to it. And uh, Rob Patingolo from Tripax DC was telling me recently he worked at a theme park and the amount of grief he got when he wouldn't let the kid on the ride because they were too short. <laughs> and, you know, and the parents going mad and it's like, yeah, how do we deal with this as tour operators, as tourpreneurs, when you say to somebody, I'm sorry, I can't take you. Yeah, it's going to be interesting times with that one, I think. I hope I, I like to think that it's people having lived through this are, are going to understand for the bigger picture yeah. and they're not they're not going to get angry about it. They're just going to know, okay, that's the yeah. way it is now. Well, I'll let you know. If it happens, I'll let you know. I'll- well, yeah. I mean, there's going to be so many stories you know, over the next 12 months coming out about how we've responded to COVID and a lot of learnings and best practices. And that's why sometimes I get a little bit frustrated when I see these so-called experts and pundits. And I'm being invited all the time onto these webinars to talk about you know, post-COVID. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball and I just don't know. There's no answer right now. We've just got to we just got to keep going and, and learn each day. That's, that's the only answer. Cause definitely. Yeah. We don't know when we're going to be, I don't think it's going to be for a while that we're going to be virus free. So yeah, we've got to operate. I was listening to something this morning, um, another podcast, and it was talking about trying to enforce these two meter social distancing measures and what that, what that means. So going forward, does everybody in a pub have to be two meters apart? Well, What's what's the point in going to the pub if you can't sit near your friends? Or if you reduce it down to one meter, is it a significantly reduced risk of catching it as opposed to two meters? So do you close cinema seats down to one or every two and it has effect on income for these places? So, yeah, it's a big head scratcher. It really is. And it's interesting how it permeates into all aspects of life. I'm a soccer referee and they just issued a directive that now instead of having a throw-in, they may have a kick in instead because they don't want the players touching the ball. Oh, right. Okay. That's going to be allowed. Which is actually, <laughs> well, they're, they're discussing that. I mean, obviously when you throw it out, not on the pitch because you use your foot, hopefully, but it's, it's like, wow. Okay. That might actually be a new law change that comes in. It's sensible because mm. you don't want 20 odd players holding that ball and, and there's a risk of spread of germs. So it's, uh, 
the new norms. But I, I wanted to find out more about Hong Kong Greeter. So how old is your business? So we've actually been going since 2012. So eight years. So I had to work that out. Congratulations. <laughs> that's that's a long time. Don't they say for dogs that one year is like seven years for a dog? And I think it's the same for tour <laughs> operators. <laughs> it can feel that way. Yeah, it can certainly feel that way. We So it, I started just myself. I I came to Hong Kong with my husband. He was the one who had work here. I was I was lovingly termed the trailing spouse, which I still hate. <laughs> but I... I I, I had this idea for a long time, but I think I lacked the confidence to go through with it. I ended up working in a in a corporate business for some time, but I I then had my my firstborn, my son, and I I was really keen not to go back to that, and I really wanted to give this a go. And I think the, one of the wonderful things about well, there's many wonderful things about Hong Kong, but in terms of starting a business, there's very, very few barriers to entry. So I literally went down to the Inland Revenue Office and registered my business. And and then I actually put something up on TripAdvisor. And I got a booking within two weeks. And then I was and then I was like, oh, oh, okay, right. Now I've got to do this. <laughs> so, so you weren't sure you weren't sure there'd be a demand for for the tours then? I had done no research. I'd done right. a, like a one-page website. Oh, no, yeah. I, that's a t- tiny, tiny bit of research. And the, my idea was, which hasn't really changed, is that I was going to be someone's friend in Hong Kong because there's so many great places to go and see, but sharing it with somebody who feels like a friend, who becomes your friend, just just elevates it so much more. Um, and that was always my my idea, my concept. And uh, and I just I threw it at the wall, see if it stuck, and it did. And uh, yeah, that's when the panic started when someone actually booked me. <laughs> so so I, I was like, ah, oh, okay, I have to I have to really work hard and make sure I know I know what I'm doing. So so yeah, it really was just just really something that grew and grew and grew. I had another baby in the meantime. I built my network extensively because actually in the beginning there was only four of us in Hong. Believe it or not, four private guides in Hong Kong that was it and well for a market that's it it, we have as much visitors as somewhere like Sydney or New York that it was tiny so it was such an open market again stumbled across it had no idea how big it was and and we became very good friends and we have this wonderful network that we still very close contact with we we just use a whatsapp group so all those people I met in the very beginning we still share we've always been collaborative not competitive and all our goals is just to make sure that everybody has a really good time in Hong Kong knowing knowing that we knowing how people operate and and knowing what they do there's often times people have come to me for a tour and I said I said actually I think you'd be better with this person I think this person is what you need so yeah we're 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 pretty tight it's pretty nice yeah what was it like leading your first tour scary (laughs) really scary we ended up shopping so actually I felt 100% in my comfort zone that was no no problem by the end of it but but yeah because I think you just you just don't know whether what you find interesting and what you want to share is what other people are going to want to see yeah Um, and that's certainly something that's been honed over the years so yeah, if you'd taken a tour with me back in 2012 compared to 2020, it would be a whole different kettle of fish. But I think I was always one to worry, worry too much. I overthink things <laughs> too too much rather than just to go with the flow. And I think as the years have gone on, we're 
me and the team that we have, we're, we're so good at sort of tuning into what the customer wants that we'll, we'll adapt on the go. We'll just, we'll, we'll include things that we know someone's going to like. We, we have ideas, a general idea about what we're going to do with people. But if someone says, oh, he, my son collects toy airplanes, like model mm-hmm. airplanes, then we'll go to that place that we know that we can get them so that they can pick up the ones that they want. It's, it's, yeah, like like in the beginning, it wouldn't have been that way, but <laughs> now, yeah. now it very much is. It's all about the personalization. And how did you go about, so in those early days in particular, getting feedback from customers? Because it's really hard to ask for feedback, isn't it? Because it's scary wondering what the answers will be. Yes, yeah. And I think I did what most people do. And I would only ask people who I was sure had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> I was so nervous about asking anything. But I think I think most people, they were very kind, actually. People... Yeah, that's another thing I've learned doing this job just just people are lovely no one's out to upset you it's not about that Uh, maybe I've just got one of those jobs where people arrive and they're happy and they're in the holiday spirit and maybe I'm lucky that way but even like during the tour people want to share they want to tell you oh I found you on this and I I think you could do this and yeah uh, so people people are pretty good now if I pick up on something I will go back to a person individually and just just ask was there anything we could have done better or it's all it's all a learning curve I'm never never scared of learning that's that's a big thing for me it's pretty amazing when I look at your website hongkongreaders.com you've evolved from that to wow you're offering all sorts of private tours group tours car tours shore excursions firework (laughs) cruises etc so how many tours do you offer (laughs) well effectively we have probably four core tours but it's a variation or a theme on that tour so core is a private personalized tour so you book us for anywhere between four to eight hours and within that time we can cover a particular area or a particular theme we we tend to get a lot of people who are interested in the jewish heritage of hong kong Mm-hmm. It's quite small, but it's quite significant here. So we can always weave that into the tour as well. So yeah. it's it's really just to give people the ideas. I would say our Lantau tour is sort of a standalone tour. It's it's the rural side of Hong Kong. It's it's the biggest island on Hong Kong. It's where, if anyone's heard of, of the Big Buddha, that's where he is. And and there happens to be my most favourite place in the world on Lantau, which is a, a tiny fishing village called Tai O, where people still live on stilted wooden homes above the water wow yeah it's a really so it's so far and so distant away from what you imagine hong kong to be it's just so lovely revealing that to people seeing it through their eyes again and again um and plus i feel like i'm i'm a villager there but they know me so well (laughs) that they're always just so welcoming and so lovely when we get there yeah it is lovely i'm uh i have to say i'm intrigued by your vegetarian food tour because i have been a vegetarian for all of five weeks oh really <laughs> vegetarian so, or vegan like well I'm, I'm in a dairy state so it's hard to avoid <laughs> cheese here that's my excuse i'm trying i've cut it down significantly but it's yeah i might get thrown out the state <laughs> <laughs> well it's so vegetarian but i, I do I, I try to eat vegan kind of during the week and on the weekend i will have some nice cheese and I, you know what I don't know if it's the Brit in me, but I do have to have a splash of milk in my tea. I'm sorry. I tried it without, and I'm struggling. 
<laughs> I'm with you on that one. You're talking to a fellow Brit, so. <laughs> yes, but yes. yeah, no. So again, that tour or that you know, that theme is really to do with the guide. So our guide Nadia was is a vegetarian. She does it for health reasons, um, and we just and we also had a lot of people asking where can we get good vegetarian food in Hong Kong because it's it is yeah. traditionally very meat pork heavy and there's some fantastic places here so we just we either include that as part of a private tour or we do a standalone um, group vegetarian tour mm-hmm. as well yeah it's that's the one thing that worries me actually I, I feel a bit embarrassed to say this but I've never been to Asia traveled to many countries but not to Asia and I have a severe fish and seafood allergy ah right and that's always worried me about you know visiting Japan, for instance. How how do people with allergies survive? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, well, let, let me know if you're coming to Hong Kong, Shane, because you're always welcome to come on one of our tours. We'll look after you. Well, thank <laughs> you. One of one of my guilty pleasures is I'm I'm a huge fan of James Bond, and one of my favorite uh-huh. James Bond films, which is not particularly liked by Bond fans in general, was filmed. Part of it was filmed there, The Man Gun, with the Golden Gun. Yeah. So I've always wanted to come visit. Yes, yeah, I'll take you to the peninsula. That was in one of the shots, Nathan Road as well. And there we go. Maybe that's a new tour for you, for geeks like me, for all <laughs> two of us. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But sadly, with Hong Kong, things have changed so much, or they change yes, so much all the time. We'd have to give you like a still shot of what it was like and what it's like now. It's very different. <laughs> How did you get the word out? So you you put your tour originally on TripAdvisor and you got that booking in two weeks. And then how else did you start to promote your tours? Actually, only really via TripAdvisor and SEO as well. I think I I, I can't say this is easy in this this day and age because it's only eight years ago. But for Hong Kong, there was no competition. There wasn't anyone doing it. So... People were looking for this, but they just couldn't find it. So I, yeah. I really was in demand from quite early on. Plus, the other, the other big um, thing for us was was this network, this small network that we had that's grown over the years, and you'd get referrals from from your colleagues. So a lot of a lot of people, if they were already booked, they would refer it to me, and uh, and that's how I, I actually I think in the early days that's how I got the majority of my tours. One guy in particular, Jamie Lloyd from J3 Tours, who's still a very close friend of mine, but refuses to come on anything <laughs> where you have to talk out loud. He's camera shy. But yeah, he's, he's brilliant. And, uh, and he has a background in marketing too. So uh, if you ever want any advice, he'll, he'll, he's ready there to take he, I, He's the one who basically went through my website page by page and, <laughs> and told me how wow. I could make it better. Yeah, and he just did that for free. Don't you just love this industry? The amount of people out there that are ready to help. It's, it, it's really heartwarming. It is lovely. Actually, I, I sort of turned a mirror on that to him recently because, because obviously he's really suffering too at the moment. I said, why mm. don't you offer this as a service for people? Because you're so good at it. He's helped so many of my colleagues as well. I, I don't know how, how you can charge, but it's something that he could really build <laughs> a reputation for. I think, I think he'd be wonderful and, and that might help him. Well, I have to say that I get a lot of people write to me who want to come on the show who are SEO 
claim to be SEO gurus and everything else. And, and many of them don't have a background in travel and tours. And that's not to say they wouldn't be good at it, but I would be more inclined to hire someone who's a tour operator themselves or, who's got, or has got a portfolio to show of, hey, I've done this in the travel industry. And that's one of the reasons why we recently built, it's in a, a version one, but the Torpreneur approved directory where you can come in and say, I worked with this person um, they did a really good job for my tour business. So that it's it's really it's a minefield out there. You're lucky that he was helping you because there are people out there. I get emails constantly that have been charged an absolute fortune and not got what they expected in return. You know, it's a minefield. So he would be he would. I think your advice is spot on, Amy. For him, he should absolutely create a business and even do it on the side to get him through this or, or whatever. And he can actually show what he's worked with in the field. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I. I said his name already if anyone wants to contact him <laughs> he's he's brilliant yes. he's absolutely brilliant yeah and he should take a look around particularly on that directory which you can find at tourpreneur.com forward slash directory because if he looks at some of the people who are offering this service already he can kind of get an idea for what they charge oh, i'll tell him i'll definitely tell him i know i know yeah. he also listens to the show Oh, great. Well, hello, James. Thank you for listening. And you're always welcome to come on. We don't do cameras here, so it's just your voice. <laughs> so as I understand it, then, you didn't work with any OTAs, or you still don't work with OTAs? Um, we, Because we're so personalized, it's it's so much more about the guides than than the tour products themselves. So we've from the very beginning, we've worked with Tours by Locals. I feel that they're a very good fit for us. These days, though, they obviously you've got to be accepted and interviewed on the site. So I, not all my guides can get on it, but because it has to be on an individual basis. But yeah, they, we've always worked really well for them. And I, I don't, I don't know whether you talk to anyone from there or if you know anyone there. But they're actually, they've actually created a guide relief fund as well for their guides, which I thought was amazing. They, they came up with that quite early on to help the people who who just aren't working at the moment. So you can. You can apply for some funding and and sort of pay it back when tours get up and running again. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. We've had the CEO on the show who, who I met last year at Arrival to find out a bit more about them, but I wasn't aware they'd set that fund up. And also they, they I won't say lucky, but fortunate with timing, they, they got investment just before COVID hit. Yes, yes I remember that. Investment, which, that was good timing for them. Yeah. So, um, well, they're, and they're also doing, uh, they, have, they have a lot of lo- loyal customers, I think, and they're doing a lot yes. of advertising for this gift card. So you, right. you sort of buy it and you can cash it in. I think it's got a really long use by date. So it's just to sort of like, I guess, help see them through this situation and their guides through as well. And how easy how easy is it on the back end to connect to tours by local? Do you have to upload photos and rates, availability, text, or or do they have an API? How does that work? Yeah, you have to log into their system. So there's no like, right. nothing from my website connects to them. So we we take I think about well it it really increased actually. They did a huge marketing push, and whereas we were doing like maybe one to four tours a month it ended up being something like 10 to 12 tours a month with them nice. so yeah they and actually that's that's when your um commission is so well spent you don't mind handing yeah. over your 20 percent because you've got you know all this is this um, business coming to you so yeah it has to be done on an individual basis and it has to be it has to be in their system and all of your communication yep. with customers is all in their system as well for obvious reasons right but yeah have you had have you had Kluk knock on your door just uh, considering where you're based? <laughs> yes, we did. And we were <laughs> in the process of uploading our vegetarian tour with them. And then I believe they've had a huge cull of employees. So there's an awful lot of people that I was speaking to that are no longer there. 
Um, same with TripAdvisor as well in this region. I know they, they, there was a lot of people lost their job in Singapore. It was, yeah, so nothing is moving really with these operators that are based out here for the time being. Right. They're not doing anything. But Klook are quite good too. I quite, I quite liked mm-hmm. what they did. It wasn't, wasn't quite so out of the box like someone like Viator or TripAdvisor. They really were willing to work with your cancellation policies, your commission rates, the way that the, the different way that you sold tickets. I know that sounds obvious, but like we have a really weird way that we do it per hour per person. So well, it doesn't sound weird, but there's a lot of systems that just can't cope with it for some reason. And they were willing to work with that as well. So yeah, and they, and they were looking to grow their English speaking market in this region. Yes. The Asia is a huge market, but one of the most common languages is English. And, and so they were looking specifically for people who could help with that. So, yeah, hopefully in the future, hopefully when they're up and running again, we can get something moving with those guys. Absolutely. My, my final question for you, because I, I want to be respectful of your time, is you mentioned earlier on that you have two children, you're obviously married, and I say obviously because your husband was very good <laughs> at helping getting us connected. He's a good sound technician, yes. so thank you. Thanks to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> How do you then achieve a work-life balance? Actually, that's a really good question because I was thinking about the challenges in this job. And I have to say that that's my biggest one. And there was, I think, was it 2016? I just personally, I did 280 tours in that year. And yes, and I was exhausted. That was, that was when I was like, right, I, I either need to get more people or, 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 or my, my home life is going to massively suffer because it was already suffering. And, and I'd love this job. I don't want to give up this job. I just love meeting people and, and energizing them about Hong Kong. It energizes me, but constantly have this guilt in the back of my mind that I'm not there enough for my family. So I think what this sort of pause has done for me is really reflect on that and appreciate those Mm -hmm. moments a lot more and make time for those moments a lot more. It's certainly been easier for me once, once I started employing people, that's for sure. So yeah, I mean, that's an obvious answer, but it's, it is, it's massively challenging. It's just little things. I commit to doing certain things with the kids so that they know that I'm always there for those things like a bedtime story, picking up from school, Oh, no, sorry, t- well, these days it's taking to school. And yeah. just that consistency for them then. But uh, actually, Although I imagine with locked- lockdown, a lot of kids are like, go to work, mom. Well, I was, I was just going to say, my son said to me, he said to, he said to me, mommy, I used to like it when you came home from work. I used to be so excited when you came through the door. Oh. <laughs> no, but he's like, can you go away? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you get out of here, please? Yeah. Well... <laughs> As much as we're all in turmoil over what's happened these last few months, I guess that is one positive that many of us have had time to spend with our family. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, it has given us that opportunity to spend a bit more time at home with family and do things together at home, obviously. Which I guess if there are any any good things to come out of it, that's one. Yeah, yeah, it is. That, that is a definite positive for, for me particularly, yeah. Yeah, I've really, really yeah. loved it. Great. What piece of advice would you have for a tourpreneur listening in today who might be struggling and thinking, is it worth it? What would your advice be to that person? I think just just keep going. Don't don't think it's it's not gonna get better, throwing in the towel now. Just try try and keep going and just think about what you're good at and maybe how you can 
how you can utilize that in the in the midterm. I think for most people, we want to see tours running again. We want to get back on our feet. We want to meet people again. But there is there are other ways to do it. And certainly listening to this show and other shows like it, I think it's really inspirational and it gives people lots and lots of ideas. So yeah, don't just don't give up. Keep trying. Keep motivated. Thank you, Amy. That's sound advice. Now you have an option because you promised us either a joke. You promised us a joke, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an alternative. So you can either give us a joke from your stand-up routine, or you can say speak something. Uh, you can say something for us in in Cantonese, right? You, you're a basic Cantonese speaker. Is I, that yeah, correct? basic Cantonese. Yeah. <laughs> so can you say, "My name is Amy from Hong Kong Greeters, and I listen to Tourpreneur in Cantonese." Say again. My name is Amy, and I listen to. My name is Amy from Hong Kong Greeters, and I listen to the Tourpreneur podcast. Uh, okay. Oh, Gilgio, hi, Amy. That's my name is Amy. I, I work for Hong Kong Greeters. That's my name in, in Cantonese. It means Hong Kong friends. And I live in Hong Kong. Is that, is that what you asked me? Is mm-hmm. that right? And I listen to the Tourpreneur oh, podcast. Tourpreneur podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's superb. Oh. I should put that into a little promo ad, oh, right? Oh, no, don't. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's great. Your Cantonese is great. The, the trouble with Cantonese is at the tones, okay? So um, yeah. if you hit those tones incorrectly, okay, here's a joke for you as well then, because because the word... Here we go, brilliant. Because <laughs> the word for um, uh, tour guide in Cantonese is Yao. But if you say if you say dou yao, okay, do you hear the difference? Yes. A little bit. That means you're a, a drug dealer. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> so you have to. It, it's one of those things. It's not like French where you 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 mess it up a little bit or you get your verbs the wrong way round or you're who you're talking to. In, in Cantonese, you can really really mess it up. You can really say the wrong yeah. thing. So yeah. yeah. Hey, not just not just in countries. In, when I lived in Sweden, my memory is right. Full and full. One means ugly and one means drunk. Oh. So if you say that your wife is drunk, <laughs> you might get a slap. Okay, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that about Sweden, Swedish at all. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love language. I could talk for hours on it. So it's best I shut up. But Amy, thank you very much for coming on Tourpreneur uh, today and sharing more with us about life, be running a tour operator business in Hong Kong. It's, uh, you're, you're our first guest from Hong Kong. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Pleasure to be here. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Tourpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit Tourpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Tourpreneur.